Tonight, God's Word comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to be reading this entire chapter, but our focus tonight is going to be on verses 19 through the end of the chapter. First Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's word. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offering? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things, to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, 
not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we are continuing our study of 1 Corinthians, our study of this section, chapters 8, 9, and 10, and actually our study of Corinthians 9. Uh, this is in many ways the second half of last week's sermon. I told you last week that the sermon kept growing and growing, and rather than preach two full sermons, we had the first half last week, the second half this week. Paul's general uh, theme of chapters 8, 9, and 10 is a warning against idolatry. And here in chapter 9, in the midst of that warning, he once again uh, reasserts his, his uh, authority to instruct them in these matters. They were questioning whether Paul was really an apostle. So I've entitled this once again, Paul's Apostolic Apology. Remember, children, that means a defense. Paul's defense that he really is an apostle. At the beginning of this uh, text, he asks two questions. Chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? And we saw last week that he answered that second question first. And so while you do have five points on the outline tonight, the first three we talked about last week. So really tonight's sermon only has two points. I'm not saying it's going to be shorter, but it really only has two points. I do want to just remind you, I'm not going to preach that sermon again, I want to remind you how Paul answered that first question, am I not an apostle? That was a necessary defense on his part because they were saying, Paul, you don't look like an apostle. And more particularly, Paul, you're not paid like an apostle. Normally, an apostle had a patron or a church who would provide for him. Paul didn't do that. We said last week, Paul was a literal tent maker a tent-making ministry. And they were saying, Paul, because you don't look like an apostle, we won't recognize your authority to instruct us. And so Paul, of necessity, defends himself. At the beginning of chapter 9, he says, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? One of the qualifications of an apostle was seeing Christ, the risen Christ. We know how Paul did that in his conversion. And he says, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Remember, Paul planted this church. He says, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. 
For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The apostles were for the founding of the church, and Paul founded this church. And he says, if others don't believe I'm an apostle, certainly you should. The very fact you're here is evidence of my apostleship. He will go on to talk about the rights that he has as an, as an apostle. They were saying, Paul, you don't look like an apostle. He talked about his rights. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? He says, I have the right to be supported. I have the right to have those around me supported. But he says, I would choose not to exercise that right. I have those rights just based on the way things go in life. I have those rights based on law. He quotes Moses, the law of Moses. Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen God's primarily concerned? No, it's for us, Paul says. I have the right to support. I have the right to all of these things. But Paul says, while I have that right, I also have the right not to exercise that right. Verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure such provision. He says, I'm not asking for anything. But I am allowed to restrain myself from exercising my rights as an apostle. We talked in chapter 8, the call to self-control. He's going to pick that up again tonight. Self-control. Yes, I have these rights. I also have the right not to exercise the privileges that I could take. That we talked about last time. Am I not an apostle? Now we deal with his first question. Am I not free? And Paul, once again, is, is being challenged concerning his lifestyle. Paul is giving them ethical exhortation. They would say, Paul, look, we look at your life and you seem to live one way with one group of people and another way with another group of people. Paul, you seem to be all over the board. Once again, you don't look like an apostle. How can we listen to what you are saying? And they said, Paul's going to answer that question. I have the freedom to conform myself to those with whom I am teaching and instructing. I am free. And he says, let me now explain. So tonight we have the second half of Paul's apostolic apology. Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Paul is going to explain the freedom that he has. And here in verse 19, we really get a picture of the heart of the Apostle Paul. Yes, I am free. But he says, while I am free, I would make myself a servant to anyone in order to win them for Christ. He goes on in verse 20, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law to win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. The passion, the concern for the Apostle Paul 
was that he do whatever it takes to share the glories of the gospel, to share the truth that he knew, that he knew experientially what God had done for him, how God had grabbed a hold of him, arrested him, and made him the great evangelist. Paul says, and I've got to share that, and I'll do whatever it takes to share that truth with other people. They were saying, Paul, you live one way with one group and one way with another group. We can't trust you. We don't know, we don't know who you are. And Paul explains why he does exactly that. And it is for the sake of the gospel. In verses 20 through 22, he lists four different groups he interacts with. The Jews, those under law, those outside the law, and the weak. And while he gives us four different groups here, really they can be combined into two similar groups. The first two, the Jews and those under the law. This is a similar group of people. And those outside the law and the weak. And he's going to explain why he does what he does when he interacts with these two different types of people. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. What does Paul mean when he says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew? Don't forget, Paul was a Jew. So why does he say, I became like a Jew, I became as a Jew? What he is saying is, when I am with the Jews, when I am with those who believe that they are still under the ceremonial law, I am free to act like a Jew. Yes, I have freedom, but I'm free to act like a Jew. I'm free to act like one who is under the law, that I might be able to more powerfully win them for Christ. That explains, make a note in your Bibles to look later at Acts chapter 16 on Paul's missionary journey. Acts chapter 16, Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that place. Paul says, we are going to act as if we are Jews. We're going to act as if we're under the ceremonial law. We're not. We're going to act that way if it will be helpful for the spread of the gospel. Those who were living under the law. And the problem with the Jews wasn't that they had a high regard for the law. We should all have a high regard for the law. But they saw the law as a means of salvation. Paul says, I want to be very clear, I can live as if I'm under the law, but that is not where my salvation comes from. And that's why Paul's um, parenthetical comments here are so important. To the Jews, I became as a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the, under the law, though not being myself under the law. So Paul says, I can live that way, but I know this is not the method of my salvation. This is not the means to God by keeping the law. I can live that way so that I can interact with the Jews. I will give up my freedom. I am free, but I will give up my freedom for the sake of 
the gospel. Paul's passion. I will place myself under law if it means I might win them for Christ. To the second group, verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. Here he is talking to the Gentiles, to those who did not have the law of God taught to them. But notice once again what he says in the parenthesis, very, very important. I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Paul says, I am free. I am free. And I can act like those who are not under law. But he says, even though I act that way, I'm still under the law of Christ. Paul uses two words for law here. One meaning, I'm, though, I'm one of those outside the law. I'm a lawless person. But he says, I'm still ennomos. I am still in the law, under the law of Christ. Some have taken a text like this, I become like those outside the law, I become all things to all people that I might save some, to say that for the sake of evangelism, it's okay to break the law of God. Paul says, I'm outside the law, I'm going to live like I'm outside the law. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, even though I am not bound by the law, I'm never outside the law of God. We may not say that for the sake of evangelism, it's okay to break God's law. That somehow Paul is teaching us that here. No, he's saying, I can act free, free like those who are not under the law, but I'm never outside the law of God, outside the law of Christ. I'm never free to break God's law for the sake of winning others. Paul says, I will go as far as I can in the realm of Christian freedom. I will become all things to all people so that by all means I might win some. Yes, I live differently with different people, Paul says. But my goal, my reason, my desire is that they might know the Lord. Verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul says, I am free, but I will freely give up my rights. I will become a servant to all. I will place myself under the ceremonial law. I will live even as those outside the law, not outside the law of God, but live as those outside the law for the sake of the gospel. That is his burning desire that others would come to know the same truth he knows. And he says, I live my life that way. I make my decisions based on what is best for the gospel. And I have to confess, when I think about the decisions uh, I make in my own life, is that even a part of the thought process? What is best for the gospel? I think we naturally say, what's best for me? Or what's best for my family? How can I be best taken care of? I have rights. I have freedom. But Paul says, I'm willing to give it all up if it would help someone else come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Yes, I have freedom. Yes, I am free. 
but I would gladly make myself a slave if it would win others for Christ. Paul is not, first of all, concerned about his rights. Paul is concerned about God's glory. And he's going to exhort them to live the same type of lives. He's going to give them more ethical exhortation. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Paul is going to use the metaphor from uh, sports, from the games. Remember where they are. They're in Greece, not far from where the Olympics were held. This was on the Isthmus in Corinth, and there was a separate set of games very similar to the Olympics that was held in Corinth. And Paul says, let's look at how how we can learn from something like even what an athlete does. So we might know how to live our lives. We might know how to discipline ourselves. He says again from verse 23, excuse me, verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. He picks up that from chapter 8, self-control. He's going to pick it up again in chapter 10, self-control. I have rights, I have freedom, but I will give them up. I will gladly control myself for the sake of others. Discipline yourself. Self-control. Don't push your freedom on others. He talked about that in chapter 8 again. Don't live in such a way that will cause other people to sin. They'll bruise their conscience. No, a self-controlled, disciplined life is what Paul is calling them to. He says, as, as an athlete, we train with a goal. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. For someone to uh, participate in the games in Corinth, they had to go through almost a year of very disciplined training training, disciplining their life and how they would train and what they would eat. And Paul says, they do this all for something that's perishable. Even today, kids, in the Olympics, they win a gold medal. That's something that'll last. What Paul's talking about here is they would win kind of like a hat made of herbs. They'd win a sprig of parsley to put on their head, a piece of celery. Paul says they were, they were training and doing all of that for something that's going to wilt and die. How much more for us when we receive that which is imperishable? We are to train and discipline our lives because we have an eternity to spend with our Lord. We prepare for that even now as we discipline ourselves, as we think about what is best for God's glory, not my rights, not my freedom, God's glory. He goes on and he says, Verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I run with a purpose. I live my life with a purpose. Now, I am not a runner. and Anybody will tell you, I am not a runner. But I have friends who are runners. And my friends who are runners and who do races tell me that when they run, they focus on the finish line. And everything else kind of falls away. They are disciplined, they are focused, they are centered on the goal, the finish line. Paul says, live your life in that type of way. Knowing we have an eternity with our Lord, live your life now in a way that brings glory to God. Focus on what's coming. He says, a runner doesn't run aimlessly. He says, I do not box 
as one beating the air. And I have to say I resonate with Paul when he says that. I don't box as one beating the air. As some of you know, uh, I'm a martial artist and I train people how to spar, how to fight. And when they start, they just kind of throw punches and kicks all over the place, hoping to hit something. And we say, no, discipline, focus, direction. Make every strike count. Paul says, discipline your life. Live in such a way that everything you do will bring glory to God, will honor Him, will be used in His service to bring others to know Him, to win others for Christ. Live a disciplined, self-controlled life. Paul says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. His call to focused living, not just floating along, seeing what happens next, but a life that is devoted to God, to living for His glory, to making decisions which will bring glory to Him, which will assist in the sharing of the gospel. God's glory, not my freedoms, not my rights, but how do I live to bring praise to Him? And Paul ends this with a, a surprising warning. He says, I discipline my body, I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul, probably the greatest evangelist in the New Testament, says, I have to do this, lest I become disqualified for the prize. If Paul needed the reminder to be focused and disciplined, how much more don't we need that same reminder? To press on in life for the glory of God. To press on not to express my own freedoms, not to live for my own desires, but to live a life that is disciplined, focused, that continually in my mind I say, how can I bring more glory to God? How will He be praised? by the actions I take, by the decisions that I make in my home, at my job, in my schooling, whatever it might be. How can I live in a way that brings God the glory He deserves and that He might use then to be able to show others the glories of the gospel? If we are living these disciplined, distinctive lives, a people will notice they will notice a difference in how you relate to your spouse and how you relate to your children and how you relate to your employer or your employee. And if they ask, you know, why, why did you do that? Why did you, didn't you have the right to do this? We answer, yes, but I would give up my rights for the sake of others, for the sake of, bring, be, of bringing glory to God because that is what Christ did for me. And we use those questions as an invitation to share the gospel? Does our heart beat with the heart of the Apostle Paul? I am free. I have rights. But I would gladly become a servant of all if it might win them for Christ. Paul says, yes, I'm an apostle. I may not look like it, but I am an apostle. I have my rights and I give them up freely. I am free. I'm free from the law. Yet I will willingly make myself a servant, that it might bring more glory to God, that it might win others for Christ. Oh, that our hearts too might beat with that same desire. That the way we conduct ourselves in our homes, the way we conduct ourselves in our offices, the way we conduct ourselves 
in every part of life, we think, what brings God the most glory? What serves Him and brings Him praise? And what might He use in my life to share the glorious gospel with others? Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you and we praise you for your holy word. It's a word that recounts things that took place years ago, but still applicable for us today. As Paul exhorts the Corinthian church, so we need that same exhortation. If we have been lax, O God, in considering first your glory, if we have thought most about our rights and our privileges and what we want, forgive us, O God. May we be willing to freely set aside our rights, to make ourselves a servant of all, that you might use us and our life to bring others into a saving relationship with you. Lord God, we are so easily distracted by the things of this world. Help us to be focused, help us to be disciplined, to think about you and your honor and your glory, that you might continue to increase your holy church and that we might have the privilege of being used for that in your service. Hear our prayer, O God. For Jesus' sake, amen.